When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. Parliament returns this week and while Theresa May shuffles the cabinet deck chairs, her government remains resolutely on course for the hard Brexit-shaped iceberg. But could 2018 be the year that changes? In 12 months' time, we'll know what Brexit will look like and it will be too late to change it. So what influence can progressives have in that time and how can we go about it? I'm Connor Pope and I'm joined by Progress Chair Alison McGovern, Director Richard Angel and our guest today is Streatham MP Chukka Ramana. Before we solve Brexit, there's a slightly more pressing matter that's been in the news over the past couple of days. So research came out on Monday that found that 43% of British people think that it is likely that Donald Trump will be impeached at some point this year, while 7% are concerned about the possibility of an alien invasion. Wow. Um, So my question for the panel is, what do you think is more likely to happen in 2018, the impeachment of Donald Trump or the aliens? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... The past year has felt like the year when things you never thought. So who knows? Mm. Who knows? Maybe they're on their way. I don't know. Like, I think both of those are intriguing. Like, I'm really interested why people think there might be an alien invasion. But I'm even more interested. Why do people think that Trump will be impeached? Mm. I mean, like, are British people US constitutional experts? I don't know. After everything that's happened as well, I don't don't know why. What would... Is it wishful thinking? Is is everybody just, like, clutching? I think it probably is wishful thinking. Although the interesting thing is... He might not get impeached this year. I think it's highly unlikely. But what happens this year could determine whether he is impeached the year after. So if in the midterm elections, what, November time, yeah. the Democrats take back control of the House of Representatives and get a foothold in the Senate, which is perfectly possible on current polling, then you've certainly got the numbers you need to invoke the parts of the US Constitution to remove a person who I think is the most appalling US president, certainly I can remember. They, they, there you go. There you go. So Chuka obviously does have a bit of good US <laughs> knowledge. I noticed this week actually that, so there's a famous uh, American podcast, Pod Save America. I noticed that the Mirror have started a podcast, Pod Save the Queen, <laughs> about royal yeah. stuff. Bit of copying there, Daily Mirror. I don't know. The Pod Save America, which is John Favreau, isn't it? Yeah. So this the is... former speechwriter to Barack Obama. Yeah. yeah. 
and a couple of the other guys from that 2008 Obama campaign is partly in the context of saving America from the situation it's in. Whereas yeah. does the Queen need saving? No, the Queen's doing great. I think she's all right. <laughs> I think yeah. the crown itself has restored the sense of monarchism across the country. <laughs> no, do you know Just what? watching the, uh, the Netflix programme seems it's to have found a whole new generation I of monarchists. I wasn't as in the crown, the programme, yeah, not yeah. the crown, Certainly the, not the, the crown institution. Of, yeah. <laughs> I think finding out just how flawed a human beings they all are seems to have revived the, the monarchism. The Duke of Windsor, Edward VIII, Literally. I mean, I know there's been a bit of artistic license on the extent to which he collaborated with the Nazis, which is a moot point. Yeah. But I had no idea that he'd visited Hitler yeah. with Wallace Simpson in 1937. Yeah, this is right. I'm reading a fascinating book about Oswald Mosley at the moment. And like, it obviously has a lot of all of the detail of the buildup to the Second World War and the extent to which, you know the aristocracy were had questionable views yeah you know it's yeah. kind of we obviously gloss over it in that moment of national renewal in 1945 we're very off trump now kind of the lengths that the establishment will go to to not talk about the imminent alien invasion <laughs> i'm firmly with the nine percent who think that the alien invasion is much more likely because seven. i just think there is is it just seven yeah. percent oh, the um <laughs> but I, I i am with the seven percent who think that the alien invasion is much more likely because I just think there's so much wishful thinking about Donald Trump. Like every time I meet an American or a Democrat, they kind of apologize for his existence and just think that because he is so bad, he won't possibly get re-elected. And mm. this kind of utter complacency mm. you know, in, so, in all the kind of moral compasses I know of, he shouldn't have got elected, but he did. And I just feel, feel that we've kind of all the Democrats that I ever meet, hear from, listen to podcasts with. Like, don't worry, he'll definitely not get re-elected. And but surely we have to assume he will. On, on American the, presidents get re-elected. On the 2020 race, Chukra, I think you've got a new hot contender. Oprah. I, I, right Oprah. now I'm backing Oprah. Because I think she could actually... Richard, Richard raises a really important point here, which is that there is a competition going on in America in progressive circles as to who can most vociferously oppose and resist Trumpism. Mm. Whereas actually the real question is, how can you persuade enough of the people who voted Trump last time in some of the former blue-collar industrial working class communities who voted for Trump but voted for Obama beforehand, how can you persuade those people to vote Democrat again? And I think Oprah, certainly I think on polling, she can have reach into some of those communities. So although, you know, first black female president, all that would be extraordinary, in the end... You want the politics to win. Yeah. And maybe yeah. she's somebody who's got that cut through and that ability to sell progressive politics to a wider audience in the way that a lot of these people competing on opposing Trumpism are not really doing. Mm. Speaking of selling uh, progressive <laughs> politics to a wider audience, Choco, you uh, took to the airwaves over the uh, Christmas holes to do not with one of our good yeah, colleagues, Kate yeah, Osmore. Yeah, I, he we I heard you we were, were spinning, spinning the wheels of steel. We were spinning some tunes, you know, if How you like your soul, old school soul. I so for those soul, who don't have Alison's... Jungle, all of that. Oh, yeah. sounds Knowledge. great. What we actually was happening? <laughs> <laughs> so I did a Christmas special show on My Soul Radio, which is a new, fairly new soul urban music station um, which was founded by the guys who were behind Kiss FM. So they set up Kiss FM when it was a pirate radio station, took it illegal, and then sold it to EMAP, I think. Right. They then left and thought, oh gosh, 
you know, Kiss has gone very mainstream. It's not as special as it used to be. So they set up My Soul. And I've done a few shows for them because they're South London based, but they're national. They're on DAB. I love how you went really South London when you said South <laughs> London. Then. This is like Chucker's like secret occasionally breaks out into South London. And so, so we, I, I, I did a Christmas special last year and I've just done another one now. And this year I'm going to be doing a few. I'm going to do like a bi-monthly thing. And who did you do it with? Kate Osmore loves her music as well. And she likes exactly the same music as me. So she was tweeting about it. And so I invited her to come on to the show as well. And she told us stories about raving at DC 10 and Ibiza and all this kind of there stuff. There we go. Is it I possible mean, to listen back to these online? You can, yeah, on another podcast. But of course, after you've listened to all of the Progress podcasts. Yeah, but we can link to it, right? We'll, 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 put, it, we'll put it on so, the So listen stuff. to our podcast and our banter and our music and let us know what you think. But it was good fun. It just Why, why did we do it as well? I think the reason we did it is that a lot of our constituents in Edmonton and Streatham you know obsessed with the same music that we are and so we thought let's do this yeah and, be I, a bit, and we didn't actually kate went and broke the ball she went and mentioned brexit really <laughs> but, but we did didn't you just talk it. about music we just talked about music yeah and raving and all the back in the day stuff stella and i have like a long-standing like party trick at labor conference where we do like a bit of stella a creasy stella uh, creasy yeah, i've heard sorry. about this so normally at the student party and then last year at the fabian party too and yeah we infamous like, infamous we don't we don't play stuff like to make a point we just play records that we like that you like yeah yeah exactly and we normally have a little competition about who picks the best record and that sort of thing it's great fun okay i good, think we good. need to uh, move on to <laughs> move on in fact to brexit now um but just as a last point on that i actually have a guilty secret which is that i love reading conspiracy theory forums and there is a lot of talk at the moment about uh, Donald Trump declassifying a lot of top secret information. So if there is an alien invasion this year, we'll hear rem- about it. Wow. Remember where you heard it first, wow. the Progressive Britain podcast. But, uh, anyway. <laughs> that is not what this podcast is all about, Connor. It really isn't. <laughs> and we will be back uh, just after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, Richard... I've heard a rumour 
that if people like the Progressive Britain podcast, there's something that they can do to help us out. There is, Alison. Oh. People can subscribe themselves. They can rate our podcast wow. on iTunes and they can leave a review. And that means that it not just gets to the audience that's already listening to the Progressive Britain podcast, but gets to other audiences. And Connor and I do a review show that comes out every Friday where we pick not just the best review, but the people who are engaging most with the podcast, who leave their review, that we give out a book, sometimes a mug, to the people who be engaging most. So we're keen to hear and make this a two-way conversation. So it's not just about audience participation. There's fancy gifts too. What more could you want? Amazing. It has been a year and a half since the referendum on Britain's membership of the European Union. Since then, a lot has happened. One Prime Minister's left and another one seems to be serving on borrowed time after a general election that confounded all expectations. But despite the first phase of Brexit negotiations coming to a surprise conclusion last month, what the final deal will be is still far from clear. 2018, then, is the year that essentially Brexit will be decided. But what can progressives realistically influence and how? Is it still possible to retain single market membership, even if there isn't an election? And how important is it to secure a vote on Brexit at Labour conference? Chuck, if I can start with you, Mm. is 2018 going to be a year where all of this gets sorted out? I think so. A couple of things, really. What do we know now that we didn't know before? Enough of this negotiation is proceeded for us to know that Brexit in the terms that it was sold to the British people is not possible to be delivered, I think, now. So people are told we would get extra monies going to the health service, £350 million extra per week going to the NHS. That's not going to happen. They were told there wouldn't be a big contribution to pay in terms of a divorce bill. There's going to be one up to £39 billion. They're told we can get the exact same economic benefits. We can have our cake and eat it, and then that's not going to be possible. So Brexit, I think, when we get to the end of this process, is going to look very different to that which was sold to the British people. And then the question is, what do we do at the end of the process? Now, Ali and I and all the other MPs here, we were charged by the British people to try and deliver Brexit in the terms it was sold. But if at the end of the process, what I'm saying now is confirmed, uh, then I think we absolutely, as a country, should have an open mind about whether or not we press ahead with this or not. A lot of people say, well, do you think you can stop Brexit? We often get asked this on other media outlets, but I don't think it's a question whether we can stop it as in individuals. It's where are the people? I'm very clear that I think the only way you could take a different view and the country could change its mind is if that's what the people wanted. And so to a lot of the proud Ramonas, Romaniacs, Ramonas, and I'm happy to carry all of those labels, I wear them as a badge of pride. What I would say this year should be about is not necessarily confirming to you that you were right and not necessarily about demanding a referendum on the final deal. And like I said, I'm I'm not opposed to that necessarily in principle. But the real question is, if this goes back to the people in a general election or referendum, what are you doing to persuade those persuadable people who voted leave last time to vote remain if there was to be a future referendum on this issue because at the moment everyone thinks it's all about a referendum but it's not it's actually about how many people's minds move as a result of what they see as the facts and the reality are borne out i think that's right and in the end this is about the realities of people's lives and what we've seen over christmas is the nhs completely on its knees actually quite scary for a lot of my constituents um we had a moment as i'm sure you know everybody wherever they're listening to think about their local hospital and the messages they saw about it over christmas we had a quite scary moment where we had a tweet from the medical director basically saying please avoid coming to a and e you know sort of was the effect of like we're really we're doing the best we can but our backs are against the wall here and so 
there is clearly a massive lack of resources in the NHS that Brexit is making worse, not better. Then in November, we had the budget with growth forecast down. If we don't see an improvement, a pickup, like into the first quarter of this year, if we don't see uh, things, you know, better signs of some sort of recovery of more normal growth, you know, given that we've got the worst growth in Europe, it's hard not to think, hang on a minute, like people were told that Brexit would be about improving their quality of life and their income and crucially their wages. And if that's not delivered, then... I think people will make their own mind up about it. And in the end, I think it's it's just obvious that Brexit, what it, what it wasn't, Brexit wasn't a clear set of instructions that the referendum pointed to. The referendum pointed to a direction which we have gone down. But if in the end that looks like the wrong direction, then I think people are going to make their own minds up. And I, this is, 2018 is crunch time. Obviously, both of you are at the very least in favour of um, staying in the single market. And I was just interested because there doesn't seem to be have been much movement yet in terms of what people think from where they voted in the referendum in 2016. Yes, although I would be cautious about the polling information Mm. because, I mean, pollsters do a really good job and they're all obviously asking uh, lots of questions about this because they're trying to work it out and some pollsters I will say coming. <laughs> yeah some pollsters will say mm-hmm. like there's been a little bit of movement but not much some will say as you just said Connor there hasn't been much movement but the thing that quantitative information like you know do you regret have you changed your mind the thing that that will never give you is all the reasons why and the state of a person's mind mm. and I think that's where you only get that where you have conversations with people so those of us who are labour activists will be like on doorsteps and we'll be listening to people and talking to people. And in some senses, at the moment, those conversations and those instincts are as, as important as anything else. Sorry, I... No, I completely it. agree. Actually, I, I meant it more as a kind of more general observation than particularly about polling, because I think that people's focuses has really gone back onto, you know, normal everyday lives things that people weren't thinking about whether they wanted to be in it or out of the EU in the 30 years leading up to the referendum. And I think it's kind of gone back that way now, hasn't well, the, it? Well, the, the interesting thing is, I think what Ali says about the polling is right. Although there is more movement than the headlines suggest, it's just that the net effect of the movement isn't shifting things a lot. So there are actually quite a lot of people going from Remain to Leave and vice versa. There is a small move towards Remain, mainly as a result of Leave voters indicating that they won't vote at another poll. But the key obstacle at the moment, there are two, I think. One is that a lot of people, partly because they've been misled by the government, think that the Article 50 process is set in stone and is not revocable. We know it is. All the European governments I've spoken to are clear that it's revocable. The legal advice I believe the government has is that it is revocable. And And, the the author of the Article 50... Keir Starmer, who's to be the DPP, thinks it's revocable. Everyone thinks it's revocable now. So that's important because... Until people believe that's possible, they think, oh, well, there's no point in having a discussion about what we do at the end of this because we've got to do it anyway. And I think the second thing is there is a bit of, at the moment, people blame the lack of progress on incompetent government. Whereas my argument is that Brexit, as you thought you had bought it, is impossible. Mm. And whether you have a competent government or not, you're not going to be able to get your £350 million extra per week out of this process. And so there is a bit of, you know, at the moment, a kind of reluctance to actually revisit the issue partly because it's a i think psychologically it's like 
having to say that you were wrong in 2016. Whereas I would say it's not about whether you were wrong in 2016. Yeah, absolutely. It's about what the facts are now. And based on what you knew in 2016, absolutely could have been the right decision to vote to leave. But things aren't set in stone. And now you know the facts. And there's lots of things now that you couldn't possibly have expected to know whether you voted leave or remain, Mm. that mean that you are entitled to take a different view on the current situation. And people responded to a deeply unpersuasive argument by David Cameron. Yes. I mean, you know, at the time, we were all busy trying to make our own arguments and trying to explain that this would be very, very bad for British industry, as it has proved, as you know, news today that looks set that like Vauxhall's at Ellesmere Port will lose a couple of hundred extra workers in the car industry, you know, in a town that basically cannot mm. afford it. Oh, I've been to, I've been to Ellesmere Port. So we were trying to say that this would happen and this, this is what we were putting at risk. But people were, were responding to Osborne and Cameron, who yeah. were profoundly unpersuasive, who'd treated the British people with complete disrespect in terms of the cuts and the the mm. things that they had done. And I completely understand why people voted in the way that they did. The fact is, 2018 is a totally different situation. Things are much more clear now. And I think we're going to have a different conversation this year. I think centre-left people kind of listening to this will want to kind of know from yourselves as leading lights in the Parliamentary Labour Party who have been... Please, don't damn us. (laughs) (laughs) But but, but you are people that people are looking to on this issue. You know, you've taken a role on on kind of vote, leave, watch, and you've obviously taken a role as uh, leading the Labour campaign on the single market. Is 2018 about stopping Brexit or trying to get the least worst Brexit? So I think that Britain should be a member of the European Union. If that is not available, for whatever reason, I will fight for us to stay in the single market and a customs union because my constituents, jobs, incomes and their rights depend on it. And, you know, I think we've had a choice. Do we say, you know... We're going to set our faces against this, come what may. You know, we may think that this is the wrong direction and we'll keep trying to persuade people of that. Or do we even, whilst the Tories are dealing with the negotiation, do we try and find a better way to shape it if possible? For me, it's about trying to find the least worst option if it happens. But I'm absolutely clear, Britain is better off in the European Union. I'm of the same view. I'd frame it maybe slightly differently in the sense of this is a year where I think a view has to be reached on whether the people are given the final say on this. I think it's hard to form a, a concrete view on that where we are in the negotiations. Once we get to the third and fourth phases and get towards the end of the year, I think, you know, there is likely to be a growing crescendo of people who are like, we don't want the form of Brexit imposed on us by Westminster, we want the final say on this. And ultimately, it's only if people get the final say and a majority don't want to proceed that I could see this thing not happening. But I I, I like to locate it with the people. I cannot bear, and it gets my back up, this chat about if we don't carry out Brexit in a certain way, i.e. a hard Brexit, there will be a revolt against the elites. Because frankly... I represent the most Remain constituency in the country. We had the highest Remain vote in my constituency of anywhere in the UK, apart from Gibraltar. (laughs) And 
don't you dare call my constituents a bunch of well-heeled liberal metropolitan elite people. Mm. If you know Lambeth, you will know that we got above average rates of poverty, child poverty, adult poverty, higher than the English average. One in three adults of working age is not in work. We have huge social problems. Don't you dare smear my constituents as fitting into some elite because they've taken a particular view on the European Union. And we've got to smash this notion. Because what you have is a lot of liberal metro, well, certainly elite right-wing commentators in the Spectator, in the Telegraph. Social conservative elites, basically. Yeah, social conservative elites saying that anybody who disagrees with them on, you know, Brexit is basically some liberal elite. And it's just, first of all, it's absurd. And secondly, it's been used to smear everyday people that I represent who are struggling, just like anyone else who voted in great numbers to leave, but believed there are different solutions to our problems and that Brexit is not going to solve all the problems that we know and have in Lambeth to a high degree, but actually it's going to exacerbate. Do you know, I think that's absolutely right. And um, there's some really, really good analysis. Um, (laughs) much as I'm sceptical about how much data actually changes anything. But anyway, um, there's some good analysis, which I will, which I will retweet again, basically looking, looking at the correlation between uh, deprivation and the leave vote. There really isn't much for one. The leave vote was actually mainly delivered by the leafy home counties. Hmm. It's people who... Why has this fallen into the lexicon that somehow it was desperate, destitute people that delivered Brexit when it was overwhelmingly... Tory constituencies well, I, and, their, and their voters. Well, I think that's I think that's partly because there's a kind of um, uh, slight exotic, exotic. I can't even speak. There's an exotic view of places in the north that journalists in London haven't been to that much that voted leave. It's romantic and yeah, mythical exactly. and slightly exactly. patronising, exactly. I might say. I think that's right. And it, there's basically this view that, like, there's this, like, northern, you know, wasteland where there's, like, these forgotten people. Whereas, you know, Connor and I both come from places in the north. My constituency that was very finely balanced voted Remain, but only just. You know, Blackburn that voted leave in much greater numbers. But, I mean, they do have trees there, you know. Like, I, I've... <laughs> I was in Burnley uh, watching the football on New Year's Day. You know, poor thing. No. <laughs> Connor, it's a nice place. Yeah, yeah, I won't yeah, let yeah, you yeah. say a word against it. Right, so I Ali, got, the Ali got the result that she wanted. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. She's not complaining. I'm not complaining. But look, look, you know, there's lots of places in the north where, okay, like there is issues of poverty, but as Chuka quite rightly points out, like there's a lot of poverty in London as well. Yeah. Let's be honest about it. The worst poverty is actually in London. Was it because um, David Cameron left so quickly that it was almost like the fact that he couldn't deliver his people, the home counties, Oxfordshire types, yeah, yeah. that he, it never got pinned on him and therefore it all moved to yeah, exactly. how much it was Jeremy exactly. Corbyn's why, fault for not really campaigning very hard. Exactly. Why Why is that not more of a criticism of Cameron Osborne? I mean, it's hard to pin just one failing on the man, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah, probably what it there is. there are so many. But anyway, I guess the point is, if you think about what Leave voters uh, in, say, Sunderland might want or wish for, like, Nigel Farage has not got a vision for them. And shutting Nissan is not going to help. No, exactly. Exactly. And also, like, you know, what most people want is a regenerated town centre. I tell you who's great on this, Graham Jones, MP. MP for Heimburn. And about how people want a sense of belonging. They want a decent town centre. They want, you know, jobs Mm. and opportunities for their kids. None of which get delivered by Nigel Farage's version of Brexit that Theresa May is arguing for. Mm. So we just should never, ever take this crap, you know. Um, Chuka is absolutely right. We should take neither the patronising tone that people who still say that the European Union is the best option are treated with, that we're somehow like, you know, 
live kind of in some different world to everyone else. We don't. Nor should we take the patronising tone of people in the North who voted Leave, who, you know, did so for completely legitimate reasons. And if some of those reasons were more money for the health service, a better chance for their town, then we should deliver that. Mm. And then we should say to them, is this Tory hard right Brexit? Do you think that's is that what you were voting for? And if it isn't, we should let people say that. There's a real dilemma coming, though, for the Labour Party that I don't think we're going to be able to duck for that much longer. By the end of 2017, there was a bit of movement. But I think the dilemma that faces us is, you know, there is a very real likelihood that if there is a deal, and I think there will be, by the way, I think no deal is unlikely to happen. It's possible, but I think it's highly unlikely to happen. But if there's a deal on the table, it's quite likely that it will not involve us being in the single market of the customs union. And our party is going to be faced with a decision, which is, do we vote for a deal which doesn't have us remaining part of the huge engine for social justice that the single market is? And doesn't have us being part of the customs union, which is so vitally important to our manufacturers in Ellesmere Port and elsewhere. And if we're not going to vote for a deal because it doesn't have those things, what is our position? Now, our position at the moment is, well, we'll just say if we were in government, we would carry on negotiating so we had a better deal. But we're not going to be in government unless there's a general election. Or we say, well, we'd send the government back. Parliament should send the government back to continue negotiating. But there's a very real possibility that we'll get to the end of this process, end of this year, and the EU says, no, there's not enough time. We need to get this approved by the European Parliament. This is the deal. Take it or leave it. And that is when the rubber will hit the road for our party. And we're going to have a very tough decision to make because, as data would indicate, two-thirds of our voters voted remain, would like to stay remain, overwhelmingly the membership would like to, two-thirds of our members, but two-thirds of our voters, it would seem, take a different view. And this is very, very difficult for us, but we've slightly had a head-in-the-sand mentality on this and trying to pretend away this as a coming problem. And it is a problem. We're going to have some very hard decisions to make. But that's why I think it's been really, really important for those of us who are, who are not on the front bench, but who have a strong sense of where we should be going as a country set out our store Absolutely. early which we did i mean i can literally remember saying from the word go that we should stay in the single market and stay in the customs yeah. union and that's why i think we have to remember that in losing a referendum we didn't fundamentally change who we are as people we're still internationalists progressive yeah. we believe that you know our chances in the world are better working with other countries not against them you know and so it's been really really crucial i think because we're going to have to make some really hard decisions and we'll work really closely with Keir and others to get it right. But it's been very important, I think, for Chucker and I and others to set out, this is what we think. Apart and we'll every- fight for that, come what may. What's important for me as a kind of observer of the parliamentary process on this is the more strong you guys are as a group and as that grows, you firm up the front bench position. When Labour's more clear and and chooses which horse it's going to ride, then the government position becomes more clear. And rather than being this silly position between whether it's a kind of Canada plus trade deal or a Switzerland minus foot half in, it actually becomes about what kind of... Norway plus deal it began, which is where it needs to be. So the Tories are engaging on this funny... I mean, I think it's important to have people outriding on this issue. And people say, oh, well, look, you know, public opinion hasn't moved much. History teaches us, unless Labour people get on the front foot, Mm. make the argument, 
then the weather doesn't change. John Curtis did this whole piece of work on labour in office. And when we stopped talking about inequality and poverty, and to some extent, we didn't talk about it as much as we did as we had in opposition. That's not to say we weren't doing things that were reducing the equality gap and reducing poverty. But when people stop hearing the progressive case being made, support for it falls. And so for me, it comes as, becomes a circular argument because unless we're actually making the argument, public opinion won't change. Yeah. So you said when you were talking about Donald Trump earlier today, I thought it was interesting because you, you made the point that there's lots of people competing about how they can make the most anti-Trump comment, but the real game in town is how you can work out how to beat him, right? That's the, and that's a typical centre-left progressive position to take. And normally we'd be the people being really practical about how can we kind of cut the deal, get right about the strategy, and the hard left in our party would be kind of <coughs> you know, really good bits about why the Tories are all bad. And both those things mean we can end up beating the Tories when the time comes. What's interesting on this is that the combination of a part of the hard left want to leave and a part of the hard left are obviously running the party. So they're not taking that traditional role and they are either having strategic ambiguity or in the finer detail. Does it not fall for us to be out there just making the unapologetic progressive case well, just for be, cooperation? Yeah, I mean, just, just, just be slightly careful because, you know, the left... <coughs> like across the piece has always been strongly internationalist apart from uh you know the traditional communist party for reasons of sectarian dullness that I won't reiterate <laughs> but there isn't a division about about being an internationalist here and I think that's where mm. actually all the lab- labor members are pretty much with us whatever you know however they came to the labor party it's just that there is nothing more progressive than people working across borders to try and collectively lift the standards in mm. a marketplace that then can serve the rights of, you know, millions and millions of consumers and workers. That's like a fundamentally progressive thing to do. And that's what the European Union is. And now has been the time where we've had to just say it and just try and make the weather. I don't really sort of see it in internal Labour Party terms like that. It's just, it's just a fact that... There is Tony Benn would be turning in his grave if the Labour leadership tries to stop Brexit. He was he wanted out of the business club that was yeah, and the EU and particularly some of the single market bits. So that 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 hangs heavy but over you know, some in the party. But you know, my dad, who you know is a big old lefty and was a massive fan of of Tony Benn and all of his works, and voted against our membership of the Common Market in the seventies basically now says he was wrong to vote against our membership. Tony Benn was wrong. And that whole part of the left was wrong because the European Union was an inherently progressive left-wing socialist organisation when it chose to affirm the rights of workers and consumers in a massive marketplace that created jobs and gave people a political and social stake in the economy and not just an economic one. I mean, like lots of people on the left change their mind so due respect to kind of Tony Benn and all of his history and all of his works and everything he was wrong about that and loads of people who are big followers of him have just changed their mind but I also think it's not about uh, I think initially and when uh, we we put down the amendment to the Queen's speech um, 50 odd of us and my my name was the, the lead one on it so I suppose I got a lot of the blowback on it there were questions in the wake of the aftermath of the general election where people were saying... So can we just clarify what the amendment was? On sorry, the, the Queen's speech amendment. So myself and a number of others, Ali included, we put down an amendment to the Queen's speech 
basically stating that the government should be keeping all options open in the Brexit negotiations and in particular should be seeking to keep us in the customs union and above all the single market. That wasn't the party's position at the time, which frankly was not that distinguishable from the government's position. But anyway, we put down this uh, amendment. Many of us had campaigned promising our electors that we would do everything to keep us in the single market and the customs union as a minimum. So we put down the amendment uh, to implement our promise. And there was a big rolling. Three front benches lost their jobs as a result of defying the whip on it. And I think at that point, a lot of people still in the Labour Party tended to see this through the prism of whether or not you supported Jeremy or not, and through the prism of internal party politics. I think the difference from where we are now is that I think a lot of people understand that the MPs who haven't always abided by the whip, myself included, are not habitual rebellers, as it were, rebels, as it were, but that there is a principled issue here, which goes fundamentally to our beliefs as progressives in, in, in greater equality, a fairer, more equal and democratic world. And frankly, I don't give a monkey's about the leadership or any particular personality. I don't care about Tony Benn or any of the rest of them. I just care about what is going to be the material impact on my constituents and what is the kind of Britain we want to live in. And I think begrudgingly across the Labour spectrum, there is an understanding that those of us who are out riding on this and aren't always, you know, behaving in line with the kind of regimented wishes of a hierarchy in the party, I think people understand that we're doing what we're doing out of principle. And this is not about personalities, it's not about the internal dynamics of the Labour Party. Frankly, in many respects, we're behaving exactly as Jeremy did as a backbencher. On that point, actually, I think there'll be lots of people sat at home and they hear, you know, kind of, we need to make the arguments louder and the stuff we're doing, amendments on the Queen's speech and whatever. But actually, you're all involved in pro-European, various pro-European campaigns. What can progressives at home do outside of Parliament to actually try and have their say on what happens and change something in the next year or so? Well, I think people have got to make their feelings known to their own Member of Parliament because Parliament has successfully inserted itself into this process now. So if you haven't been, if you feel strongly about Europe, now is the time to book an appointment at your Member of Parliament surgery, right? Because I tell you what, you know, the people who disagree with you will be doing it. So make sure that you have a face-to-face conversation. It's really important. Like it may take a little bit of people's time, but they need to get an appointment with their member of parliament, whoever that is, and go and tell them how they feel. Because I can tell you when you stand up in the House of Commons and when you're making the hardest of arguments, the thing that stays in your mind and the kind of feeling that you have is how you felt when you looked those constituents in the eyes and they asked you to make this so we'll the right a link thing on this podcast of how you can go about yeah, doing so that so go, if you've not lobbied your MP you've not met your MP yet no, yeah, but, um, if you honestly, don't live in a seat that has a Labour MP we'll tell just, you how you can go about doing it don't just tweet them don't just write on their Facebook page. Don't just send them an email. Go and look them in the face and tell them what you think. They need to hear it, whoever they are. In fact, in um, particular, Chuka, my, hmm. my mate Catherine is one of your constituents and I saw her last night and she said, oh, he's doing a good job. I said, yes, but don't forget to tell him so because it will make it. <laughs> even, if you're, even if you're Chuka's constituents and, they all, and you all agree with him and you all voted Remain, yes. still make an appointment because Please. we need to hear it all. And the other thing that people can do is to sign up to the Labour campaign for the single market or, you know, one of the other campaigns, whether it's Best for Britain or sign up to Open Britain's email, just sign up, make sure that you're linked in, you're involved, you know what's going on. But Labour campaign for a single markets website has a sign up. If you sign up there, you'll get all our emails. And, and you've got a involved. motion for people to take to their CLPs, haven't you? That's well? right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Definitely do all that. Leave Watch, Open Britain, Best for Britain, the whole lot. And just to underline what 
Ali said there, particularly if you are a constituent of a conservative MP who is not a hardline Brexiteer, who frankly you're going to struggle to move. There's, you know, Bill Cash. I'm not sure there's any point going to. I do. mean, go and see them anyway. Cause like cause you never know. Cause them some right? grief, but yeah. definitely <laughs> look. If you're one of Justine Greening's constituents, yeah. for example, in Putney, where she could lose her seat because of her failure to stop a hard Brexit, you know, you have considerable influence. And also Calling the other th- the people of Hastings. Yes. Hello, people, if you're out there yes, in Hastings. there you go. Hastings. Book all, in to all see of Amber And if you're in an area which is kind of characterized <laughs> as, as a leave area as well, again, please do make sure, particularly in those areas, your MP knows the Remain voters there. In a lot of colleagues who represent, Labour colleagues who represent leave seats, believe that because the Remain vote coalesced around them in the 2017 general election, they kept their seats. But they need to know that. Mm. And so please do make sure that you get in contact with them as well. And finally, do spread the word to everyone that we don't have to go down a particular avenue. I have something that I think we should do if we want to be successful in this. And I think it's to talk about immigration. And that has two things. One, to be positive about the impacts it has for our country, for our fellow citizens, for our opportunity, education, uh, business, etc. Um, and if we are to leave, it's going to be the route actually to having some jobs in the Brexit is our diaspora communities will probably deliver more trade deals than Liam Fox will ever be able to do. But secondly, is that if there's a kind of fatalistic view that if we somehow stay in the EU or in the single market, that nothing can change on EU, you can't have control of your borders, I don't think we will change people's minds. So it falls on those of us progressives who would like to convince others to show that we can both have the open-minded Britain that we believe in, but one that has controls on its borders. So we could have ID cards. We could have export and import controls that uh, Michael Howard got rid of in 1995. We never brought back, but we had that while being in the single market. We could have Belgium's rules on if you overstay your three months, you can go back. So there are lots that you can do. It's not fatalistic. In fact, fatalistic. I think, you don't I think lose we should control your borders because you're in the EU. I think we should very swiftly do a, another progress podcast on immigration. Yeah, good idea. Because we've got to keep talking yeah. about it. I mean, look, free movement is not unconditional. And part of the problem is the phrase free movement, because yeah. it's, and it's totally misleading. I don't think people are anti-immigration per se. They just want a sense that there's greater control of the system. Absolutely. And you can achieve that within an EU framework. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But what I find is progressives bank that and move on to the other arguments yeah. about why they want to do it. And I think it's very much the thing we have to nail and give our people the confidence to say when they're a town hall around the country. Okay, we are going to have to leave that conversation there. We definitely will come back to immigration in a future episode, but stick with us because next we'll have the political pub quiz question. Every week, Connor asks a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's Extra Show. So this question was once more shamelessly stolen off Twitter. I got this off uh, Rennie Anger. Who is, Do you uh, think of anything yourself? <laughs> I just had... Uh, uh, you just sit, on, you just sit on Twitter all day, I, I'm right? st- still nursing the sore head from the Boxing Day show. Uh, oh, that for a oh. Um, so his question was, which five serving cabinet ministers serving as of 9am Monday morning, so pre-reshuffle, which five cabinet ministers have previously been members of the Labour Party, SDP, or the Liberal Democrats? Oh, I, I can think of two. Well, you need five. Oh. 
Send your answers to at Connor Pope on Twitter or email office at progressonline.org.uk and you could win a Progress mug when the answer is announced on Friday morning. We're going to wrap up now, but we've been delighted to have Chuck Ramona joining us today. Do send in your questions and comments through Twitter, email, or best of all, as an iTunes review, and me and Richard will respond to them on Friday's show with the best iTunes comment winning a prize. And don't forget to subscribe and rate. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton who produced this podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.